Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Now, please welcome, all the way from their front living room, your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 44 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hello. One thing before we get started, I do want to mention, we have been producing a website and you can find it at www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk. On there, you'll be able to see all of our guests and the information about them. You'll be able to play the episodes, should you wish to do so. You can stream them directly from the website. Yeah, so that if if people that you know want to listen but don't know exactly how to listen because they don't know how to get it on their phone or whatever, you can just say, go there, here's the website, click, listen. Exactly. Good point. The other thing, of course, is that we've also got a contact page on there as well. So if you do want to get in contact with us, you can. You can send us a guest suggestion, should you have one. If you've got someone that you want to us to interview, then obviously you can send us their details. If you've got a story of your own, you can send us that as well. And if you've got any questions that you'd like us to ask any future guest that's coming up, you can ask that as well. And we also have a shiny new email address. Yes, which is mail at weirdwackywonderful.co.uk. And that's mail like M-A-I-L mail as in me (laughs) okay (laughs) we got a little bit of a break from the norm today because we've actually invited some friends of ours who have a podcast of their own that we would like to tell you about actually we would like them to tell you about we've also got at the end of the interview that we're doing a episode that they've created just for us and for you and so without any further ado please welcome to the show the cast and crew of Lake Avalon Entertainment. We have Casey Krause, Heidi Lynn, and Robin Mudge. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Hello. All right. Hi. It's a pleasure to speak with you here today. And obviously, we're fans of your work as well. We listen to your Nightshade podcast that you're doing. And hopefully, we'll be able to talk a little bit about that later on. I know that you guys have actually done us a nice special episode to play at the end of this particular podcast that we're doing today. Yeah, you know, um, sorry, this is our first time doing any interview. <laughs> Normally we just do our thing, so we're excited to be on. It's really great. So tell us, how did you all meet? <laughs> Robin and I have been going to school together. We were in school together from... Uh, yeah, I remember I was in ninth grade when we met. Yeah. I was like 14. Yeah. Why? We've known each other forever, and, and obviously Kurt's my husband, so... And we met at the college. I was actually doing tutoring because I'm an English major and I had been tutoring lots of different students for numerous needs. Heidi was in her, I think, last semester and taking an astronomy class and having some difficulty comprehending what the text, the boring, lulling text was indicating. <laughs> so I had always been fascinated by the stars and it was late in the semester. I mean, we're talking about like one, one and a half months before the end of the semester, which was her last semester. So there was like a month and a half before she was to graduate and falling behind in that class. And they gave me a card. They said, no other tutor wants this card. You want it. I know it's late into the semester, but if you want it, you know, here's the information. And I tell you, I know it's strange, but I took that card and I I felt an electricity as soon as I touched it. And I read the name and it said, Heidi. I don't know why, but I was just drawn to it. I was drawn to her. And um, not in a creepy stock way. No, no, no. I just, <laughs> I felt something. And so I called her and then we arranged the first meeting. Yeah, I was we sitting. We talked about everything but astronomy. And the first, yeah. <laughs> 
as soon as she walked in, I knew it was her. She looked like a lost puppy and I fell in love with her immediately. I don't think she felt the same about me, but I was just, and so because I was so hung up on her, the last thing I wanted to do was talk about astronomy. And so she told me she was an artist and she showed me her work and we talked about this and that and ice cream and monsters and movies and you name it. And maybe we talked about the moon for five minutes. (laughs) So when people ask us, how did you guys meet? We usually say in the stars. That's a really cool story. That is really cool. I noticed you said at the start that you wanted to help her with the boring, lulling text of the course. That's right. I, yeah. I, I take it that wasn't written in the prospectus. No, no, no. I just, a lot of texts read like instruction manuals. And I always excelled in school, but I did it by way of having the luxury of drawing these fantastic teachers that, like in history, I always hear people go, I hated history. It was so boring. It was all full of dates. And I said, really? Because I thought it was phenomenal. I guess it's just because I, I drew those teachers that brought it to life as though they were there. And so I couldn't really relate to that idea that history was boring because I just I knew it from all these fantastic stories that came to life off the tongue of these phenomenal teachers. Well, I know I didn't like history at all in school. I hated it because it was full of dates. But the one thing that I've always said, and I say it to my son, and I say it to Shelly a lot, is that if the History Channel had been around when I was in school taking history classes, I would have probably done so much better because they are amazing what they do today. Right. It's our story. It's the human story. It's just, you know, when when, when it's made to be boring, <laughs> it's boring. If somebody's boring and they're talking like Ben Stein from Ferris Bueller, of course it's going to be boring. <laughs> Casey, being an author yourself, obviously you appreciate that it's all in the way you put the story across. And I know that you've written a number of screenplays, you've won awards for your writing as well. How would you describe your writing style and influences? I'm greatly influenced by the great writers from Antebellum and the wave of phenomenal British writers from, you know, the late Antebellum and and Victorian era. My influences were by and large in the fun genres like science fiction and and horror and fantasy Hmm, couldn't figure that one out (laughs) (laughs) i just took to it you know i mean the i grew up with an old black and white television and here in detroit michigan we were every saturday was just this great festival of fun we had these great horror hosts from the afternoon onward in the mid-afternoon we'd have this guy called sir graves ghastly and and he was a goofy kind of how would i describe that uh he put on these on these little skits and was a lot of fun to watch. And I think they would showcase some, you know, really bad old horror movie. And then in the afternoon, we had what was called the Thriller Double Feature broadcast out of Detroit. And so I was exposed to like a lot of the old Hammer films with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. And yeah, yeah. one of the first I watched was The Horror Express, which was made in 1972. And it scared the daylights out of me. But it was fun. It was like a roller coaster ride. And then later on in the evening, we had this local horror host broadcasting out of Detroit and Ohio called The Ghoul. His name, Ron Swede, he's still with us. His antics were bizarre and like the the Mad Hatter with a wig on, you know, and every every Saturday I was exposed to that because my dad was a big fan of that stuff too. So, and, and then later on I got into the Twilight Zone and, and I don't know any writer anywhere that wasn't 
influenced by Rod Serling and his Twilight Zone in those genres. So, you know, I, I just had like a great source of that kind of cultural influence. And, and I just, it opened my imagination. And, and, and I've, to be honest, I just never stopped being a kid. Uh, men never do stop being kids. That's just the way y'all are. <laughs> yeah, I went to the auto show yesterday because they have it. You know, this is the last weekend for it in Detroit. And they had the Legos there. Oh, geez. And I was I was with some friends and I'm like, I'll see you later. I must do the Legos. <laughs> and I stood in line for the stupid Lego. And I was happy. It's funny, actually, because the other day I actually put out an Instagram picture of some Lego guys. I don't know if you saw that. I did. Yeah, I think, I we're, I think we all love Lego. <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially a young man upstairs. Now, Robin, obviously, I'll direct this to you. Casey creates the stories that you guys use on the podcasts. Oh, Robin Robin is a huge contributor to that. Yeah, she, she... Ah, that. right, okay. She actually was the brainchild of a very deep well which is our other podcast that is currently in the works mm -hmm. yeah we're working on episode two right now i listened to a very deep well earlier today and i've got to say really really good <laughs> really good thank you thank you everybody is just asking me all the time is it out yet have you done it mm -hmm. i get that too it is really good stuff. Um, Robin, I've got to say that I was quite looking forward to hearing your voice today because I know <laughs> I was, I've spoken to Heidi in the past, but I was really looking forward to hearing your voice and actually Casey's as well because you guys have a different voice every time I hear you on the shows. Yeah, we we try really hard to make sure our characters are their own unique people. Obviously, Casey is amazing with all the voices. I can just do a few different accents. <laughs> But um, I love accents and I listen for accents. It's it's just something, it's one of my interests is regional dialects and accents. And I would say that listening to you guys doing the accents that you do is one of the high points for me. But that's maybe because I'm a little bit of an accent nerd. <laughs> yeah, no, me yeah too. you're, like, you're I... like a minor bird, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, you know, I was just amazed from the time I was a kid people that could take their voice and distort it and do these crazy things with it. One of my greatest influences was the great late Mel Blanc. You know, I, I didn't realize when I was a kid that everything you saw from Looney Tunes was Mel Blanc. Yeah, he was talking. Bugs Bunny, wasn't he? <laughs> he was everybody. Yep. He was every character. And uh, and I and I just, guy. <laughs> um, just an amazing vocal talent. And so that I said, I want to do that. You know, and I was a little kid and I tried to do voices and they were just a little kid doing various different, you know, pitches that were inflected. And, you know, in my mind, I thought I was doing it, but I wasn't. And then later on, I, I discovered Saturday Night Live during its glory days. And I consider the, the mid-1980s, well, the original cast, obviously, I they're, they're just league of their own. But I grew up with the, the mid-80s. Dana Carvey, Dennis Miller, Phil Hartman cast. And what I think drew me to that was the fact that I think out of every cast out there, they just looked like they were just going out there and having fun. And it made it fun. And, and so I, especially with Dana Carvey, who I don't think is a spot on impressionist, but he just made his characters fun. And I said, I think I can do this. And so at first I would listen to Dana Carvey do like a character. So I think they had like the sexiest man alive little spoof. And I remember him, you know, playing John Travolta and they were like, you know, John, this is, I think Mark Harmon, it was like, I, I can't remember. It might've been Mark Harmon that was spotlighted as the sexiest man alive during that year. So they came up to Dana Carvey during this, you know, sketch and he was playing John Travolta. And, and I think they asked him something about being a former sexy man. And 
he was like, anyway, he slipped into like a John Travolta, right? <laughs> and so he was like, right, right. But I was sexy back in 1975. Here. <laughs> right? And I said, I can do that. I think I can do that. But at first, I kind of mimicked the people, the impressionists doing the, yeah. the characters instead of me going and, and going directly to the source. And after I, I kind of matured a little bit, you know, and I began to discover what I could do with my voice, I went to the actual sources. And so from then on, I realized that it's not a true impression of a character unless you really, you know, get into the, the character and understand the character. And so I agree with, you know, Norm MacDonald, and, and I won't discuss politics, but what he had said, and I agree with him, is that he doesn't really feel that anybody who has disdain or animosity or hatred toward uh, a character that they're impersonating is funny, nor is it a realistic impression because people genuinely like themselves overall, unless you're suicidal. And, you know, <laughs> so he said, and I agree with Norm on this, that you can't really do a character that's true, you know, unless you have some kind of liking for the character. So I won't do anybody uh, in a derogatory fashion. If, if I don't like somebody, I won't impersonate. So, so can I've, you can you do a Donald Trump impersonation? I've been, I've, I like doing the presidents. The past few presidents, I haven't really been able to to tap into yet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, well, I, was um, just, I was just saying we'd be able to tell if you were Republican or not. Because <laughs> if you could do it, then... <laughs> Yeah, no, I haven't been able to. And a lot of times, you know, like I, I'm drawn to the characters of yesteryear. I think it's just because of my love for my childhood. And in that regard, I'm a lot like Gene Shepard, the writer of A Christmas Story and uh, those great, you know, Ralphie stories. Yeah. You know, you'll shoot your eye out. And and the way Gene Shepard has this kind of, even though it's a fictitious take on his life, you can tell that what he's drawing off of is his his love affair with his adolescence. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's part of the charm of Gene Shepard's work. And so I think that's how I am. And that's what really inspires me to write stories and to create characters is the things that I like. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that a lot of what I create is because I, I love it and I want to have fun with it. I'll direct this to Heidi a second. Heidi, uh -huh. why did you guys decide to put your talents, the three of you collectively, your talents into a podcast? Oh, well, yeah, I've been obsessed with podcasts for the last year and a half. And I was sitting there listening one day and I went, oh my gosh, we could, we could do this. We got this because we've, you know, all of us have been in doing acting and movies and, and things like that. And, you know, without a lot of money, it's difficult to make movies. I mean, we can make them really well, but unless they have good effects or good, you know, costuming or something, it, it's, it's difficult. You know, acting is one part. Everything else is the other. So this was just another thing that we just segued into and acting radio show and, and why can't we do this yeah so robin came up with a very deep well and and that got us you know rolling and honestly at first i was like i don't know i'm, I'm nervous i got into it i finally got into the point where i know i got audrey's character down like she's basically me though that's the thing is she is me i'm goofy and a dork and I wish I had superpowers and if I could because Robin's like well what superpowers would you have and I said <laughs> oh totally telekinesis because then I could clean my house and still do stuff <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm already at that point in my life where I would use it for all good only, but I think it would also just be for housework um, and saving 
saving my butt or other people's butts, you know. <laughs> you guys came to me and said, hey, you know, I got this idea where we can actually continue to be creative because we had, you know, our endeavors with with filmmaking and, and writing fiction and, yeah, and Kurt's an comic amazing book. director. And, and so I incredible. And they said, you know, well, we can do podcasts. So I was like, great, what's a podcast? <laughs> you know and then, so she's like it's an old radio show like you know we could do it like an old radio show like, evan and costello and jack benny and i guess that would work and then when they started talking to me about that i started kind of the, the wheels started turning i was like oh yeah because they had those old great i mean that's how a lot of the great serials started like the lone ranger and all the other greats that, that became television shows in the early era they were they were radio shows and i said that could work you know we could do our thing without having to worry about the visual element that's totally doable so you know to be honest we're just kind of getting our feet wet you know it's this is this is a, a new endeavor and when i first took on the task of, of editing the the first episode of a very deep well that was a monstrous task and now it's we're starting to hit our stride and i, I feel that the more we go with it and and the more people we, we can bring into the effort uh, the easier it'll get and the better we'll get at it right and robin and me are we play best friends in the show and we are best friends and it works out great. It was kind yeah. of a very deep. Well, was kind of, kind of supposed to be a bit of a spoof of real life. So um. <laughs> I was, I was totally with you on the spider thing, by the way. Yes. Yeah. I'd have been stuck in I that car as well. <laughs> but it was a spider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it no. was a spider. Yeah, <laughs> I'd have been hiding in that car as well. It's quite interesting what you said about it. it's eight eyes are looking at me because I freaking count them. You know, I sit there and yeah, I don't like spiders. <laughs> I'm not a fan either. See, I, I, I have cats I, that go and eat them for me. I, I find them <laughs> fascinating. I don't want to go and like hold one. I'll hold tarantula if you let me, but I, I'm not like. Oh, there's a creepy spider making a web, but to watch them, they're fascinating. I love them. Mm. I, I'm actually grateful for the bugs they eat because I hate mosquitoes and there's a lot of them around here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're definitely good for that. But as long as they're kept at more than arm's length from me, that's fine. Right. Robin, why did you decide on Lake Avalon Entertainment? What made you come up with that name? Um, well, that was actually Casey's idea. We had battered around a ton of different ideas and we were trying to come up with something that we could get a good domain name for actually <laughs> uh, it's all about marketing it is it is about marketing if you have the same name as someone else it's really hard to get your stuff out there yeah so actually uh lake avalon had been a a fictional city that casey had created and used in a bunch of his stories previously and so we just kind of adopted it and said, all right, well, we'll just, we'll add to the mythology. We'll, we'll grow the city here and have all kinds of things in it and let a lot of our stories just, just hang out in this fictional place. It's quite interesting, really. There's a little bit of a, a tie here because I don't know if you know the, the Avalon that featured in the Arthurian legends you know, mm -hmm. the Lady of the Lake and all that sort of stuff. The story actually was put around by a historical, or a historian, if you like, Geoffrey of Monmouth. And we actually live in Monmouth, and we're doing our podcast from Monmouth. So it's interesting, the Avalon that, that you're using is, is a nice little tie to, to <laughs> us here. That's that is awesome. awesome. I'll is. tell you, you know, real quick, one of the things that I love to do most is is to create the places, the settings in my stories. I don't, 
I don't think I've ever said anything in a real place. You know, I refer to them. I reference them. Like we know that there's a Detroit not too far away from Lake Avalon in the fiction. And so I will make reference to that or I'll make reference to one of the suburbs outside of Detroit. But I will not really take to the idea of saying, oh, let's set it in Detroit. So I love to create cities and towns. It's exhilarating. And I, I get to be architect of that. And I get to, you know, lay all the uh, geography and the stores and and then and add the people and sprinkle all that in. So it, it gives me the power the of a puppet master. And I, I just enjoy that. So Lake Avalon is kind of a large city that's essentially a an island. And if you were to take, you know, and look on the map of Michigan and then go to where Gross Point meets Detroit and Harper Woods, and I believe East Point, formerly known as East Detroit, and kind of reach into the map and spread all those apart and drop in a decent sized body of water. And in the middle of that, drop in a landmass, that's Lake Avalon. And if you look at the shape of it, it kind of looks like an apple with a bite out of it. And moreover, I added in the fact that it's got a great amount of apple trees. And so I was drawing off of the Arthurian Night Tales when I created Lake Avalon. Right. I actually, we drew up a map that I'm in the middle of working on. Got to finish it off. But we, we haven't completed like everything on it because we're like, oh, well, where's this place? Is this place here or there? Or, you know, making a map is actually quite difficult when you're trying to I think that's a good idea. When you look at the likes of uh, Tolkien and Douglas Adams, they did the same sort of thing, didn't they? You know, they actually created a a world. They mapped it Mm -hmm. out, you know. Is it the Similarian that Tolkien did where it's just literally a book of all of the maps? of the maps, uh, right. Yeah, it's just bizarre. So have you guys had any paranormal experiences or at least experiences that you have trouble explaining that you can share with our listeners? I'll let the girls go first on that <laughs> well i've had uh, an odd ufo experience i mean I'm, i've not as had as many as others i've seen some things but they were real small stuff but the you the ufo thing blew my mind and to this day i still can't figure it out i i know we do live by a military base out here but even that you know i've not seen the like of it before or after you know, it was Halloween night and I was driving home to take the girl across the street trick-or-treating because I was in my 20s and they, they her parents were going out. So I was going to babysitter that night. I look up, I'm sitting there in traffic because I, I was running late, but I'm like, okay, whatever. So I was just gazing at the trees and the sky and the buildings around me. And all of a sudden, this comet looking thing, it was bright white. It had a long tail and it was moving really slow. It wasn't moved fast and it could only have been like a couple miles above the trees. Uh, it was just streaking across the sky. And I'm like, what the, you know, that was crazy. What is that? And then the next thing, you know, the next day, because that's basically all it did was fly across the sky, but it looked like a comet. Mm. It had a super long tail. It was bright white. And then the next day I go to work and I was telling the people at work and uh, this guy I worked with, he went, oh my gosh, I saw that too. And I was on the other side of town. Oh, wow. So it's corroborated. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm not crazy. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we didn't say that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I mean, other than that, when we lived in our old house, you know, I had my little dog. She's, you know, my little Chihuahua Jack Russell mix. And she was, you know, not a puppy at that point. And we were just about, about to move out, but we still had our stuff in. And I walked by the bedroom and I saw a little thing running across the bed. It looked about her size and she did that sometimes. And then I looked out at my feet and she was standing right there. Ooh. Oh, weird. <laughs> and I was like, 
what? <laughs> and I saw red eyes come from that room too once. I was, when we first moved in, actually, it was like moving in and moving out. This is when things started happening in the house. But I, <laughs> I was drawing. We hadn't moved any of our stuff. And we actually lived upstairs in the flat. And we were moving down to the, because the lady moved out and we were moving into hers. She had more space. So I was drawing in the living room with just a light we had stuck in there. And I looked up and I saw two red lights, like eyes looking at me from that bedroom. I jumped up so fast. I ran out of the house and my husband was standing in the front and I went, oh, I'm not moving in there. <laughs> I'm not going in there again. And he's like, oh, it's fine. I don't know. You know, he believes me, but he, he called me down off the ledge because I was scared to death to go back in there. And we actually never had any real issues about it between those periods of time. Everything was cool. It was just when we were moving in and we were moving out, things started happening. <laughs> Hmm. Well, it's good that the whatever it was, it left you alone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, right. I was glad. Because it welcomed you and then it shut the door for you on your way out. That's just the way you like it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what about yourself, Robin? Have you had any experiences that you have trouble explaining? Yeah, most of them come from when I was a kid. We'll just when I, in the house that I grew up in, there was this, I guess you would say it was a ghost. It was this lady in a shawl that would show up occasionally. And of course, everybody said, no, that's not really there. But everybody saw it at the same time. Well, I mean, not at the same time, but it, in different situations. I remember one time when I was when I was younger and I was probably eight or nine years old and I, I slept on the top bunk of a bunk bed. Yeah. And my sister would get scared at night and she'd, she'd come crawl up and sleep next to me in the top bunk. She did that one night and kind of pushed me over. So I'm leaning up against, I'm kind of leaning up against the, the bar that holds you in from falling out of bed on the top bunk. Yeah. And I, I leaned over and I saw this like glowing creature come into the room and just like fall on the floor and look like this big shawl just spread out around it this like a like a knitted shawl and and I remember I was really really scared and I rolled back over and I don't know how I got back to sleep that night but eventually I I tell my parents and my mom's like oh I've I've seen a lady in a shawl coming out of the bathroom at night and I and I had a cousin who had stayed over one time she's like oh I saw that in your basement and Oh, oh, weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's not not an experience where anything happened to anyone ever that I know of, but <laughs> just kind of a strange encounter. Yeah, I think that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> that <would be> me. <laughs> so, Casey, have you got anything that's happened to you? You know, I don't think there's anybody alive who hasn't had something occur that they can't explain. And those people that dismiss the oddities in this world are pretty arrogant because for them, you know, it's like, well, so you weren't here when it all started. Okay. So I, <laughs> I wish I had some canned applause there. Cause I think you, you deserve the round of applause for that statement. <laughs> well, I always felt as though we as humans, you know, are just so limited. I think we're phenomenal creatures. I do love, I love life. I love but it's just an amazing world and an amazing, but we don't even know half of what it's all about. You know, we're literally fleas on the back of a Titan, you know, and for us to say, oh, we got it all figured out. It's just such an arrogant 
response. So yes, like I said, I don't think there's anybody out there that that hasn't experienced something. For me, I can't say that I've I've experienced anything as of late. At least I'm too busy to notice it. If anything, as a a father and a, a family man and kind of running around for lack of a better term, with like a chicken with its head cut off, mm-hmm. I I don't have time to really you know notice if something's happening. It's when you kind of take time and and when you're a kid, I think you're more receptive of those things because life moves at a slower pace. Like Robin, a lot of the things I experienced were when I was younger. And so people might go, oh, you were just a dumb kid. But it's like, yeah, but, you know, like there were lots of adults who experienced these things as well. So the very first house that I remember living in with my parents, house in Roseville, which is a suburb outside of Detroit, and it was this I think ranch style home, for some reason, strange things seem to follow my mom around. My, I remember my, my cousins were over and, and this house could best be described as a classic haunted house. So this is not an isolated incident, but this is describe a night that stands out for me most distinctly. An evening where my cousins were over, I have two sisters. I don't think the youngest was born yet. So my middle sister and I were very small children and our cousins were in close proximity to my age at the time. And I believe my aunt and possibly her mother or sister were over. It was like a family gathering. And the gentleman had stepped out to go get probably food and beverages. And then whatever unexplainable force had occupied our home with us, decided it wanted to drop into the party as well. And so it started out with kind of like this, I distinctly remember like kind of this like low resonating groan, like a, like a, you know, just kind of like resonated over the air. And then every wall, floor and ceiling began to, you know, be pounded on simultaneously, just this boom, boom, boom. And everything was shaking and rattling. And it was like something was trying to pound its way into our reality. I, I, this is how I remember it. And then the women stopped, they turned everything down and they were frightened and it, it persisted. And, and then they told my cousin and I, cause we were crying to go into the room cause they weren't sure what it was resonating from. And so my cousin and I were huddled on my bed. We were hugging one another. We were crying. We heard this, you know, just that the pounding would intensified and we had one of those old pull-down shades that rolled up and mine decided to flip up by itself. And my cousin and I, if you ask him to this day to describe it, we both described it as this kind of demonic clown thing. On the outside of the window, slowly rose up on the outside and kind of looked at us, cocked its head, grinning with these terrifying expression, and then zipped off. We saw it as kind of a white, reddish kind of thing. My aunt, she literally left the house to, to find out what was going on because we didn't understand what was happening. And so, I mean, the, the, the women I recall were frightened, but my aunt was just kind of bold and trying to find out what exactly was happening. Because I think maybe part of them thought that the men were playing some kind of prank on us. But as it turns out, all she saw was kind of this red flash zipping around outside. And then shortly thereafter, the men did pull up in the car. And of course, the, the women tried to, to go and find out um, and tell them, you know, what was what was going on. And I think they probably responded with skepticism, but things quieted it down after they had returned. Nonetheless, I know that the concept of them 
uh, being the culprits behind that particular incident was pushed aside because there was nothing to corroborate the fact that they could pull that off. And of course, she witnessed them pulling back up after she had chased this this red flashing thing around outside. That's not an isolated incident. That is just one that kind of really stands out for me, albeit I was you know, very young at the time. Your aunt had a lot of stuff because there's no way. Mm -mm. (laughs) That would, that would be inside. The red thing can run around outside all at once. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's funny what you were saying earlier, Casey, about the fact that people maybe sometimes disregard what children say as just maybe their imagination or what have you. But we've mentioned this on the podcast before that sometimes I think that children maybe haven't got a filter in place. You know, they haven't been told for years and years, well, you know, this, you know, monsters aren't real. You know, this isn't true. You'll be thought of as crazy if you think, you know, a certain way. So I think that maybe sometimes children are looking at it, these things that are going on with maybe an unbiased. Exactly, because they're seeing through the fresh new eyes that haven't been desensitized and, and corrupted and made skeptical and angry and so they see things i think more so as they are than what we do yeah if my kids tell me something i believe them at least i give them the you know the benefit of the doubt you know like actually i get more creeped out when they tell me things because i'm like oh my goodness (laughs) because the dogs start barking to it as well i'm out i'm (laughs) out We're actually recording an interview with a woman tomorrow who's actually got poltergeists going on in her house and has Ooh. actually got her kids in oh, the house as well. So, yeah, that's going to be an interesting and, and frightening yeah. one. Yeah. Where would you guys like to see your podcast in maybe two years' time? How would you like to see the progression? Oh, just want everybody to hear it, honestly. We love doing it so much and to share our stories and, and actually have people, you know, just enjoy them as much as we do. That would be fantastic. You know, we want to have a good collection and just keep on doing it. (laughs) I'm glad you said that you're doing it for the fun because people say to us, because obviously we've got a podcast and, you know, we're on all the different platforms just like yourselves. They kind of immediately assume that you're earning you know, bucket loads of money when in reality (laughs) you're you're losing bucket loads of money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just something we just absolutely love doing we, we've always mm-hmm. we're, we're creative and that's what that's the heart of everything we do and you have yeah, to i'm f- not going to say if they want to share you know that's fine too but <laughs> mostly and we had to fight for that time you know between work and responsibilities and parenting and finding you know those those few hours in the wee hours of the morning when you're collapsing and barely able to hang on to actually find the time to do these things. But it's that fight to not allow that child inside of us, that creative desire to die. You know, we're trying to preserve it and (laughs) allow it to, to live and speak and get out there so that you know, that part of us can be preserved preserved in some way. Having listened to your shows, there's a lot of production that goes into it. Your sound effects are fantastic. Listening to that one earlier. Well, yes, there are a lot of sound effects. Well, it's not only that. There was the 
all the TV stuff in the background. So if you try to put aside what you guys were doing in the foreground, in the background, you've created a TV in the background, if you like, for for those people that haven't heard it yet. Yeah, so that's playing on in the background. And it's you guys, again, with your different accents and your different voices and different scenarios. You're doing like a news show in the background and you're interviewing people. And the level of work that you actually put into it is fantastic. We don't, as you've probably realised, script a thing on our show. (laughs) We just get together, we decide on a subject, we talk about it, we get someone in who we're interviewing, and that's it. And so it's really interesting to us the level of preparation that you put into I know Casey you said earlier about the editing and how the editing is hard I never realized if our show goes out for you know a 45 minute show that's five hours probably worth of editing that goes Mm -hmm. into it and then you've got all the uploading and the marketing and the social media and all of that sort of stuff that you're doing pushing it and prior to that obviously all of the preparations that we do is just booking guests and, and deciding what subject we're going on to but you've got all of that creating the story assigning the cast rehearsing getting together fitting it in with your own families so yeah i just got to sort of hold my hands up to you guys and say that you know i think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic and that anyone who listens to it needs to really sit back and really listen because there's so many other things going on in the background that maybe they might miss that's actually part of the fun yes the preparation the editing and the marketing uploading is is all the, the, the stuff that's difficult but also kind of a rush for me as far as the casting there's only like five of us so at the moment although we'd like to build on that and invite people to be a part of the process in some capacity and hopefully we can pull more cast members in as we move forward we have most recently been able to bring in some new voices for background characters and we've even had a few of our child actors which are basically kids kids. that are related to us Uh, (laughs) yeah i was um, just getting ready to ask you if you'd had your children involved in it in any way yes we've had our children and some nieces and nephews is the extent of it because we can get the release to do that and we just go hey you want to you want to do this for a second and and i'll try to get them excited about it sometimes they're like yeah we want to do it too and other times they go i don't want to do this right now you (laughs) know because they're playing a video game or doing something else that's more fun well if you're ever Um, looking for the voice of a welshman let me know (laughs) <laughs> oh, absolutely. absolutely. Actually, we're going we're gonna to start gathering some guest stars. We already have one lined up from another one. And if you guys are interested, just let us know. We're yeah. absolutely more than happy to have you guys on as characters. That would be great. You do know that I'm already on IMDb, darling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually am. I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Awesome. But that means we have to pay you still, right? I've sacked my agent. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that Robin does uh, 95% of our putting stuff up and, and getting things online and our social media stuff. I was just going to mention that because, Robin, I know that you're responsible for doing the website and you've it's mm-hmm. fantastic. And in fact, that's a really good place for people to land because you've got absolutely everything on there, haven't you? Yes, we do. LakeAvalonEntertainment.com. Great place to check out. <laughs> and you can listen to the podcasts there as well. So you put your episodes up on yep. there. And obviously you have backgrounds to the story and you have a list of the cast and characters and all that sort of stuff on there as well. 
And it's only going to grow. I mean, at some point, we are probably going to release some of the background noise, some of the things the TV is doing just separately so that people can listen to those things individually and see how silly they really are. But we're just kind of deciding when the best time and how and exactly how we want to do that so that the audience gets the most out of it. You know, as far as that background, we take that very seriously. The television in that particular show is a character in and of itself, and we plan to use that later on as a character. We have some interesting things planned for that. So each individual piece, each commercial, each character, each show that we have put on there, it's not just nonsensical background noise. Each individual piece we approach with the same passion and the same intensity that we that we approach with the main storyline. So it's not just kind of this nonsensical thing that we throw out there. If you listen to it, and what she's saying is, once we put that up there, people listen to that, they'll realize how intricate it actually is. Yeah, like I said, I actually listened to that episode twice because I listened to it, first of all, for the story. And then just because I'm a little bit of a geek like that, I'm interested in the things that you're doing in the background. So I actually listened to that section again, just so that I could try and pay attention to what was going on in the background. You're absolutely right. It is not background noise it's not sort of supplementing just for the sake of being a supplement it is actually a character in the background and it's something that you can follow and listen to so all credit to you and you guys you know I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass but you know you've all got a talents that I think marry so well together you know as well as all of you are fantastic actors you know from what I've heard anyway but as well as that, Heidi, obviously, you've got the uh, artistic flair. For those people who don't know, Heidi was actually the person who did our new logo. So the logo that you're seeing on the podcast at the minute, she actually created that. She's a fantastic artist, and that's her day job. So there's one sort of arrow in your quiver. You've got yeah. Kurt and Robin, who are both doing the majority of the writing, and the stories are absolutely fantastic. Mama's Little Dolly, got to be my favorite, I'm sorry to say, is absolutely brilliant. That, one is- that was a nightmare I had. That was... Except in the dream, I was Dolly. I mean, it sounds strange, but that's how it came to be. Yeah, it was I, actually I, a real nightmare. I was. I, I write a lot of my nightmares, and that was one of them. <laughs> was Dolly a doll then? That the- yes. Yeah, Okay. Because we were talking about it that at first, you know, you could think of it in two different ways. You can't, but I, I write ambiguously like that on purpose. Yeah. yeah, so we had a discussion about it. And obviously the third arrow to your quiver is, Robin, as side of your acting, you've obviously your online attributes in terms of the website. You know, it is fantastic. We're in the process of doing a website ourselves at the minute, and we realize just how hard it is, you know, to get that presence there. Yeah, it I've been doing websites for a few years and doing social media for a few years. I actually have a pretty successful blog called Playful Kitty that has allowed me to travel about and do conferences and things. So I had to add that talent to what we were doing Mm. when I joined up with Heidi and Kurt. Yeah, Robin's actually got awarded for her blogging. Yeah. Kitty. Really? You kept that quiet? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I always think that my cats are the ones that win the awards. (laughs) They just kind of put up with me. If it wasn't for you, their cats wouldn't win the awards, Robin. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I've got to hold my tongue here because me and cats don't get on. 
<laughs> oh. Not that I would ever wish any harm on cats, but they constantly wish harm on me by the fact that I'm allergic to them. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, that's Actually, hard. I found out that I am too. <laughs> Are you? But I've been exposed to animals my whole life, so yeah, I just kind of dealt with it. I'm an animal fanatic, so he yeah. has no choice. <laughs> yeah, I've got to be honest. We've got animals in the house. Have you met Bella? <laughs> well, I- <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we have a lot in common on the on the oh yeah on that yeah <laughs> <laughs> right okay then guys well listen we're, we're coming to the end of the show what you've done is you've created a little teaser here for our listeners so you've created an episode which we're going to play right after this so that they can hear exactly what we're talking about when we've been discussing your shows today and the one that you've done for us is called mark twain at the pearly gates do you want to give a little sort of intro of that something to whet their appetites well that was a uh short that i wrote while i was leave either in my last year of college or possibly my first year grad school mark twain is one of heidi's favorite authors from the antebellum era, you know, United States writers. And I kind of discovered him through her. I knew who he was, but I didn't really delve into his work. So when I did, I realized how rich of a writer he actually is. The voice, the just the profound, timeless voice that he has. And he was just a crazy character in himself. He was just amazing. And so that that's literally my attempt to impersonate Mark Twain, not just the fact that I voiced Twain, but in the writing itself, it was my attempt to write like Twain. And so I read a lot of his personal essays and he had this colorful distinction about how he expressed things. And so I knew that he had an interesting perspective on life and death and the universe in general. So I said, you know, I wonder what happened, you know, on the day that he died, you know, and it was so interesting that he had that attachment to the comet. And and I just yeah. kind of spin this little comical piece that, you know, I tried my very hardest to emulate Mark Twain, the humorist. And so that's what came out. Mark Twain like cats, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. Back to freaking cats. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <Kitties>. <laughs> 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 Can I just ask, by the way, uh, which one of you ladies did the Brooklyn accent on this show? Oh, that was me. That was you, is it? All right. Well, I was born in Philly, so I have that East... I, I can break into the New York East Coast thing really fast. Right. Okay. See, this this is it. When Because you, you girls sound quite similar anyway when you're talking just on here. When you're putting voices on as well on the podcasts you know, we just have no clue i have no clue which i wanted i can distinguish we could, you kurt <laughs> we were hoping we could have pulled in a one of our other colleagues or another person to play the gatekeeper but we had to kind of get it out real fast so i had three different characters that i approached initially among the first was i wanted to kind of do a like an old uh, distinguished uh, New Englander with, you know, that that kind of swagger from over on the East Coast. <laughs> but I realized that when I put it together, I felt as though people would kind of put the two voices together and say, well, who's talking? Mm. Because when I'm yeah. Mark Twain, I have a little bit of that, but he's more from the South Sea. So I said, all right, well, let's just do something else. And I, I I put, I forget what I did in the middle. And then finally I said, well, I always had kind of a liking for Kevin McDonald from the kids in the hall, you see. So I, <laughs> I said, well, you know, that's very different. And so I just, you know, that's kind of what came out and 
ideally what we'd like to do is is like i had said before is try to court some new talent and have lake avalon grow and so we can you know have fun as i described before the way i saw the mid 1980s saturday night live cast be where there was just this remarkable amount of talent all working together and looking like they had just an immense amount of fun doing it well it comes across it really does we can tell that you're having fun doing it because the quality is absolutely amazing as i said one last little plug there robin i don't know if you want to take this can you just once again tell us your website and where people can get hold of the shows you can find us at www.light lakeavalonentertainment.com all of the information is there you can see a very deep well nightshade and everything else that we're coming up with we do want to venture back into film in the future so you'll even see that come up when we get that far and you can find some on our social media we're on facebook and instagram and we're on twitter a bit too you can find some kind of special little shorts that we did over the holidays there. excellent and we're on all the podcasting booths. yeah we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, basically everywhere that I can get us into right now. <laughs> so when's your next episode coming out, guys? Next episode should be out in a few days here, and we're almost done with it. It actually, it'll be the first time the TV actually interacts with one of the characters, so that'll be good. <laughs> that'll be very deep well. And then we are going to have another one of Nightshade out here pretty much around the same time. And, and hopefully we can find that energy level and, and those uh, uh, moments in between real life uh, to actually be creative. Our goal is to uh, try to produce at least one episode per podcast show each month, as long as uh, we can take that. Well, we wish you guys all the best with it. You too. And everybody out there listening. And we hope that your life is far from normal. <laughs> yeah, that's your thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, we're there already. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we are going to leave you now with this episode that they've given us. This is Mark Twain at the Pearly Gates. Thanks again, guys. Thanks for having Thank us you. on. You guys Bye. are great. <laughs> we love Bye. you. Welcome to another special edition of Lake Avalon Entertainment's podcast, Nightshade. It's an anthology series of short stories that aren't necessarily connected. So start with any episode that captures your imagination. If you've not yet visited Lake Avalon, we happily invite you to come and check out LakeAvalonEntertainment.com for show notes, extras, information about our cast and crew, and our upcoming projects. You can also link to our original podcast while there. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the latest happenings at Lake Avalon Entertainment. Now, if you have a few minutes to spare... Let's hitch a ride to a place where the lines between day and night so often blur, and what we know as reality tends to skew like a kaleidoscope. How do you picture the day after you die? Welcome to Nightshade. Today, we are taking you to the other side of eternity with a gentleman who was somewhat of a celebrity in his days, but where he has been taken that earthly popularity carries no clout. Presenting a special episode of Nightshade, Mark Twain at the Pearly Gates. It's the nature of Adam's sons and Eve's daughters to make small things into big things, quick things into slow things, and easy things into difficult things. 
unbearable in most cases. Now, I've survived my fair share of good and bad times, having rejoiced my blessings and done penance for my sins. And of all of them, the only two instances I personally feel warranted the action of all that nonsensical hullabaloo which accompanies most occasions, rode in on a comet. My birth and my death. I was 75 years young when old Haley caught back up with me, and I hitched a ride with it to oblivion. I arrived at the pearly gates during the last week of April of 1910. I can't tell you if it was a Tuesday or a Saturday. They're much disorganized up there, and time isn't a concept that seems all that important to them. Them being angels, demons, and the living impaired. And for that, I was pleased. In fact, at first I found myself quite content that I finally had time enough to not have to worry about it about having to be somewhere, or meet with somebody, or get something done before the hands on the clock beat me to it. And even more appealing was the idea that all the fuss regarding what happens when one dies was now behind me. And though it was not the most pleasurable of experiences, it neither was one of my worst. At least it came with relatively little discomfort. So I walked up to the gatekeeper and engaged him in idle chit-chat. I said to him, I said, So, you look like a fellow who knows his way around up here, down here, whichever direction we currently reside. You look like the one to ask. How's the climate near the worlds? And he told me, Well, it's as it always was. Sunny and clear and 75 degrees upstairs. Gloomy with a chance of rain downstairs. However, and, uh, I hope you're not one of those poor souls stamped rejected. See, Mr. D. <clears throat> he waved me closer. See, uh, Tim's Ferry down there. And from what I hear, you'll not have skin enough to shed during the day, while at night. Oh, boy. Talked to a fella who did guard work down there once. Says it brings most bottom dwellers to the frigid state of, uh, resembling a human popsicle. Now let me preface what happened next by expressing how detestable I believe it is to categorize everything and everybody the way we, as humans, so commonly do. As Noah paired off each animal on the ark, the male giraffe with his female counterpart, the male turkey with his bride, and the male ladybug with its, well, its ladybug, likely separating each of the pairs in the categories of their own appropriate kingdoms and species, I realized a few moments after my arrival that we were being herded in similar fashion into one of three different gateways separating the new arrivals by their faith or lack thereof, by how much or how little they accumulated throughout their lives and by which means, and most curious, in some instances, by their national origins. 
Now the facility in which housed these rather long waiting lines was quite elaborate and vast, having no ceiling to speak of but the cosmos. In fact, I could nearly reach out and touch Andromeda. And the architecture seemed an amalgamation of both ancient and futuristic works of genius, though I found it puzzling that it had no logical semblance of structure. I chuckled at what might happen if someone didn't keep his manners and struck a pillar or kicked a wall. The, the vision of a house of cards or a train of dominoes came to mind. Then I noticed the lines were populated with folks of all different walks of life and from all throughout the ages. Black folks standing beside ancient Romans, American revolutionaries standing beside Persians and Arthurian knights standing beside a band of migrant workers. And many looked to have been there for a long time, so long, in fact, that they were adorned in cobwebs and had long since gone rotten. Thus, their old aching bones were no longer even there to send out an impulse of pain. And at the front of the shortest line stood a defiant cuss who argued with the lady at the window. He complained about her refusing him access back to the life he left behind. She tried to explain that he had no body in which to return. Doc said I had six months, and I only got three. Doc don't make the rules, she said. Besides, you're the one who forfeited the remainder of your days by jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge for a midnight swim. Well, the argument waged for a while, and in the interim, I saw there was a fourth, much shorter line, set apart from the other three. A few dogs, a number of cats, a goldfish, and a dinosaur were among the occupants in wait. The sign above the window read, Pets, Livestock, and Mythological Beasts. Well, considering the alternative, I figured it was worth the attempt. So I stepped out from the back wall and shuffled over to the front of the fourth line. I wasn't sure how my furry or scaly comrades would feel about my surly action. So I removed from my breast pocket the remainder of a biscuit I was nibbling on just before I caught the tail of old Haley, broke it in two, and tossed it down near my beastly friends. And while they called about who would get the biggest portion, I stepped up to the window and told the lady there that I was a goat. Now, my performance may not have deserved any laurels, but I thought I looked apart nonetheless. She said to me, Sir, I'm sorry, but liars aren't allowed upstairs, and Lucifer simply doesn't care for satirists. Now... If you would kindly step out of line, I'll provide you with a form that you can fill out, which might allow you a chance at reincarnation. Okay? And since I never considered myself to have the temperament of a Buddhist, I decided to quit the enormous station and return home to haunt my descendants. Mark Twain was an aberration of Samuel Clemens anyway. This new, transparent me had marinated over the course of a lifetime. I believed that a role I would play very well.
Join us again soon for another episode of Nightshade. This special episode, Mark Twain at the Pearly Gates, features the voices of Heidi Lynn as Tollbooth Attendant 2, Robin Mudge as Tollbooth Attendant 4, Matt Grammatico as the belligerent man in line, and Casey Krause as the gatekeeper and also the voice of Mark Twain. This has been a Lake Avalon production of an original story by Kurt C. Krause. Please visit Lake Avalon Entertainment for more information on our cast and crew, as well as some fun extra content. Be sure to explore all of Lake Avalon while you're there. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Nightshade on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Leave us a like, a comment, or a review that might help us to reach more podcast lovers like you. Can't find us in your favorite place for podcasts? Email Robin Mudge at lakeavalonentertainment.com or interact with us on social media and let us know. We want to extend a very warm and special thanks to Shelly and Bella and their weird, wacky, wonderful stories podcast for highlighting us on their show. They are the best, and so are you. Thank you so much for listening, and may your life be far from normal.